Good morning. Our reading today comes from Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. If you would have a seat this morning, um, as uh, we already mentioned, we actually do have a, a director of our musical worship, uh, Andrew Sullivan. I'm mentioning him this morning because uh, both I want you guys to know and uh, be able to pray. Uh, their littlest one, Vera, had a tumble out of her high chair uh, this morning and ended up uh, in the ER this morning having to get a CAT scan. So initially, everything's looking okay uh, and everything, no long-term big concerns, but uh, they're worried just a little bit about uh, a fracture just above her eye and everything. I got some pictures. She's so adorable that she looks cute even with a little black eye, but uh, if you would, pray for uh, the Sullivans just because that's a big deal, but also I wanted to uh, thank our music team because they uh, stepped up this morning in a big way, rearranged uh, everything from songs to who was leading and everything else, and so uh, I just want to say thank you for uh, them for that and everything. It's a big deal to have to uh, rearrange things on a Sunday morning, and I'm just uh, enduringly grateful. We don't normally spend a whole lot of time uh, talking about the ins and outs of a Sunday morning, but uh, I'm just... I'm thankful this morning, so I wanted to say so. Uh, if you would, uh, make sure to stay in Galatians chapter 6 uh, this morning. We're going to be kind of examining this verse by verse, and we've got a text here that's actually short enough for us to make sure that we're hitting most of the parts, but it's a very dense verse, and so we're going to go, we're going to choose a theme and go directly after it. But I wanted to start actually with, uh, with a confession this morning, and it's something that uh, you may not struggle with, but, uh, but I do. I actually had to confront it this week. Uh, deep buried in my soul is an anti-gospel that I, I even just like subconsciously kind of struggle with on a day-in and day-out basis. Uh, it's always been there kind of in the midst of my motivations, and for lack of better terms, I kind of uh, call it Christian karma. Now, for those of you who, uh, who are like, hey, you're not supposed to say the word karma. This is like a holy place. Or for those of you who don't know what karma is, it's a very Eastern idea that uh, if you do good, you will get good back. And I've kind of baptized mine in Christian you know, thought and language, but it's in there. Uh, it's, it's stirring the affections, the motivations. Uh, even this uh, week, I can't recall exactly what it was that I was thinking about, but uh, in my bed, before I got out of bed for the day, I remember thinking about something that I was going to do, thinking about how holy and good it was and what I might receive in return for it. I don't, it's so common to me that I don't even remember what it was, but I do remember having to attack it and just going, that's nonsense. It's just utter and complete nonsense. Uh, it's things that is just no better than kind of a health, wealth kind of false gospel. But it's in there. Uh, I wonder if it's in there for you also. If it's not, uh, congratulations. That's amazing. Uh, but for me, I think a lot about the good things that I do in hopes not that they will glorify God, but that they will glorify me. And it's just a Christian 
karma. It's an idea that we get, we give in order to get. Uh, so I can remember, uh, just to give you some stupid, I mean, just idiotic examples of this. In the early days of COVID, I remember thinking, man, I have so much good work to do. This is such like a nuisance, this COVID thing. It's not even like people are passing away, like I should have been concerned about that. But I was thinking, you know what? If I continue to do good, I'll bet that God will protect me from this. Uh, You know, just early Christians in Rome, they were out there serving and doing good, and, uh, and he protected the church. He grew the church during that time. So maybe, by my goodness, I'll be protected from COVID. Yes, that is how silly and kind of deep this goes. If you really examine the motivations of a heart. Uh, for me, it's very easy for me to be just generous with my time. I, I don't have a schedule that I'm just always lockstep keeping. And so it's very, it's just an easy thing for me when I'm sitting down with a person to let that meeting go long or for us to go over time. I, I won't have to convince any of you of that. And a lot of you have been like held captive by that, right? But it's very easy for me to give of my time. And I just think, man, if I I'm so willing and flexible to like give my time, maybe I will get something in return from that. I'll get a good reputation or I'll have this person like me or that person will uh, come and be a part of uh, my business or this church or something like that. And, and at the end of the day, it's not just nonsense. It's really evil. It, it, it's, it's, not, it's not good that's, that's the language that we're going to be using a lot today is goodness. And, and I told you that I kind of baptize it. Uh, you know, there are language, there's actually themes in Scripture that talk about obedience and blessing. There's things like Luke chapter 16 that says that he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. There's uh, passages like Mark 4 where Jesus says, whatever you measure you use, that measure will be used with you. But then it even says, and more will be added to you. And so it's just this idea that I can kind of use the kindling, use the timber of Jesus' words to erect something that's just not at all what Jesus wants for me in my life. And I wonder if that at all is your problem as well. There are many problems with this, but I want to like pinpoint what I think is maybe the least observable but most egregious problem with the idea of Christian karma. And it is this, that we make God impersonal. That it turns God into an impersonable merchant exchanging our good for material blessings. So we've actually taken a relationship that we should have with a loving father and we've said, I prefer you as a machine. And if I can just give you good, you will give me good. And that'll be the transactional basis that I'll deal with this like loving father. So we're turning God into an impersonable merchant. And instead of uh, obedience to a loving father who blesses his sons and daughters with the riches of his kindness and mercy and grace, we've just made God a robot that pleases us in some way. It also just cheapens the idea that good should exist for the sake of goodness. That good is actually like a quantifiable, qualitative good thing and that we should be after goodness for the sake of goodness and just letting it be good. And instead, we're perverting it with selfish desires, a desire to build up our own kingdom. And what we do is instead of letting good be good for goodness sakes, we turn it into a bartered currency rather than just inherently letting it have its own value. So here's the question that I want to ask this morning, and I want to try to answer it in due time, but I want to ask this question for us. How can we think about good works the way that God intended for us to think about good works? 
there may be like uh, something in us that wants to actually just opt out of the whole conversation together. It's like, well, I just am incapable of doing good things without having some kind of motivation, so I'm just, I'm not going to pursue it at all. I'm not going to think about it in any way, shape, or form. But the real question for us shouldn't be that. It should be, how can we think about goodness the way that God thinks about goodness? And here's what I think we arrive at this morning. This is kind of what we're aiming at, is that spiritual sowers never give up on goodness. Spiritual sowers never, ever give up on goodness. We don't give up on it. And we've got to take a little bit of a road to get there. We've got to understand the great deception that you might be uh, believing. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is the great deception. The second thing is going to be selfish sowing. We've got to understand that we are all out there sowing seeds of some kind. And for a lot of us, that's going to be sowing seeds of selfishness. And then finally, we want to talk about the reward of reaping. So we've got this great deception, we've got selfish sowing, and then we've got this unbelievable reward that we are reaping in the gospel. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. Now, a lot of times I would take just a moment to set up the context from the rest of Galatians. But if we can be honest about it, we've been going through Galatians for the last uh, seven or eight months. We, we kind of get a lot of the context there. So what I want to do this morning is actually go not back to the beginning of Galatians to talk about the word goodness or to talk about this theme, but to go back right to the beginning, to Genesis 1. Why? Because our, our understanding of goodness can actually come out of our understanding of God's creation. Why? How? Because God uh, speaks and he creates the heavens and the earth. He creates light and darkness. He separates those. And what are they? They're good. He creates the seas and he fills them with all kinds of living creatures and he uh, creates the land and he creates all of these creatures that live on the land. And they are what? They're good. He's filling all of these things, and there is something inherently good about them. They are lovely because he made them lovely. They're good. And then he gets to man, and he creates. He says, let us make man in our image. And so he creates them, and they were, what? Very good. They were very good. Our understanding of goodness can actually come straight out of Genesis 1. And what we get there is that the good Good, very good, is not just about the objects that he creates. It speaks something about God. God is good. His works are good. The results are good. Goodness is a substantial quality to itself because God created good. He just created things good. So, so in kind of ancient texts, they have kind of distilled down the things that we can look to qualitatively in this life. And what we find is, is that there is truth that there is beauty, and that there is goodness. Have you ever heard those three words used together? A lot of our kids that are going to classical school, they'll recognize that those are three words that are common use, commonly used to qualitatively assess life. What is true? What is beautiful? What is good? What we find is, is that goodness is in God. He delivers it to creation by making good things, and that we actually get to experience it. Truth is true, beauty is beautiful, and goodness has a satisfyingly good, virtuous substance to it. Good is good because of God. 
goodness in creation speaks to the goodness of God. This moral good, this philosophical good, the physically good is truly good. But here's the big thing. If you go just one chapter ahead from Genesis 1 and 2, we find out that in the fallen world, sometimes goodness gets mistaken. And sometimes things that are corrupt masquerade as good. And so it gets confusing for us. We can't just live in creation before the fall and just see all good things around us. One day it will be so. We will see goodness surrounding us in heaven. We'll get to experience goodness without this kind of diabolical nature of going, I think that that's good, but maybe it's just corrupt and it's imposing itself as something that might actually be evil. Behind the curtain there is evil on the face. It might be good. Or the things that are good can be commonly called in this world evil. We've experienced that as Christians. A lot of the things that we associate with goodness now are being attacked as being evil. So how do we sort through these things? How do we understand what is happening here? And that's the first point. That's the great deception. Look at verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. Okay, that's the great deception. Do not be deceived. We're being beckoned by the Spirit through Paul, his servant, to not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Paul has used this entire letter to be rebuking the Judaizers, these, uh, the sect of teachers that were teaching uh, Christians who had come in by grace through faith into a family of God, and they were telling them, hey, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to have works of the flesh, okay? So that's the word that we're actually, this, this theme has existed throughout the book of Galatians, that there is a work of the flesh to earn God's favor These Judaizers were adding work of the flesh. And then uh, Paul actually uses the opportunity after confronting that to lay out the fruit of the Spirit. And what is one of those fruit of the Spirit? It's goodness. There's actually a goodness, there's a qualitative goodness about the fruit of the Spirit. So we're getting this idea that Paul is wanting to confront these things directly. As he continues to talk about what life in the Spirit looks like, he says, don't be deceived. Why do we not be deceived? Because God is not mocked. God can't be mocked. Now what is it that he's saying here? God is not mocked. God can't be deceived. What we need to understand is that the great deception, your great deception, my great deception, the Galatians' great deception is that they could be deceived, that they could deceive God. What do we mean by that? Well, we do it all the time. We kind of think that like, man, if we just act like just good enough that God will accept us, works of the flesh, that's like a deception. There's also this sense in which that we can, uh, we can think that we're hiding our evil from God, hiding our sin nature from God. God didn't see it because, uh, you know, he's just too busy to be bothered with my sin. Or if I do it behind closed doors, like God doesn't see it. Now, now very few of us actually think that out loud. We wouldn't say that. But how often do we pretend like we can deceive God, that we can mock God, that he doesn't really truly know our sin nature. Don't be deceived. God cannot be deceived. That's the great deception. God knows the motivations and intents of our heart. He can weigh the desires of our heart. Why? Because he says here, what is sown is also reaped. He's not going to let you sow out to the flesh and then receive back fruit of the Spirit. 
That's not what's going to happen. And, and what we see is that even in this like sowing and reaping, it's a common metaphor in, uh, in the New Testament. There's a very agrarian society here that would have been very familiar with planting gardens and these sorts of things. So uh, sowing of seed is commonly used as a metaphor. Reaping is com- commonly used as a metaphor. But what I discovered is, is that it's easy for us to think, man, I'm hearing the same thing over and over again in the New Testament. But the commonness of this metaphor like we would see in Matthew 13 where Jesus teaches about the sowing of seed and some goes out on a path, other on good soil, and it talks about like what's arising out of that. But he's not talking about what we're talking about this morning. In Matthew 13, it's more evangelistic. It's more about the soil of the heart and the seeds that go into it and the faith that grows out of it. It's evangelistic. It's about salvation. This passage really is not. We see other chapters like uh, Luke 6 getting more at what we're talking about here where Jesus says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from the bramble bush. That, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about salvation or evangelism. It's talking about good works. It's talking about the nature of your works. What kinds of seeds are you sowing? Don't deceive yourself by pretending that you can deceive God. Examine yourself. Paul is inviting you to examine yourself, examine the fruit of the seeds that you are sowing. So while it's very important for us to understand the great deception, we secondly have to learn and understand what it is that we are sowing. That's where we get to our second point this morning, selfish sowing. Look at verse 8 with me. The one who sows to his own flesh will from his own flesh reap corruption. Now, this, this fits a theme that's in Galatians. In, in chapter 3, verse 3, we actually get this uh, outstanding statement where Paul just goes, you foolish Galatians. And, and if you read it in any other way than Paul saying, you foolish Galatians, you're not getting the emphasis that Paul means for it. You foolish Galatians, having begun by the Spirit, are now you going to be perfected in the flesh? Paul is addressing this theme of like, what is it that you are trying to do to earn your salvation? And he's going to tie into that theme earlier in the book and talk about the fleshly sowing and the spiritual sowing in the sense of like, what is inside of you? Why are you motivated to do the things that you are doing? This time, it's not only working in the flesh, it's sowing to the flesh, If you'll notice, you you could even go through this passage and just circle the word to, and and you might find it very curious that we're sowing to something. It's not just that we're sowing onto something or we're sowing for something. We're actually sowing to something. But here, we are told that we are sowing to the flesh. You get the idea that he's speaking to a self-serving, people-pleasing work to gratify selfish desires in yourself. And this is exactly what I was talking about in the beginning, my Christian karma. What is it that's stirring me up? What is it that's motivating me to do the things that I do? Is it the works of the flesh? Am I sowing to the flesh? Am I trying to gratify my flesh? Am I self-seeking Am I self-pleasuring? Am I seeking to uh, want in some way 
to gratify myself, to build myself up, to build my king up? What is it that I'm sowing to? Is it my flesh? Are you, if you serve your own interests, if you feed your sinful desires, if you are selfishly sowing, what does it say that you will reap? Look at it with me. You will reap corruption. Now, a lot of us have experienced that. We're told by every ad out there and every magazine on every website that it is okay, it is preferable that you serve yourself. Lift yourself up. You be beautiful. You buy this to serve you. And and we, we follow that. We build those desires in. But what it does is it hollows us out. It empties out the goodness that is in our souls that God has placed there. It leaves us wanting. It leaves us uh, feeling in some way defiled or corrupted. How, how often do you just serve the desires of your soul and go down a Netflix rabbit hole and find yourself on the other end of like a six-hour binge of some show and just go, I feel gross. I wanted to be entertained. I sought out that entertainment. I couldn't uh, divert my eyes for anything other than going to the restroom, and I just feel corrupted. All of us are familiar in some way, shape, or form with what sowing, to the, sowing seeds to the flesh actually reaping corruption. But we see it over time, too. It's not just in moments. We see that over the course of time, if we're always self-seeking, it's a hard hole to climb out of. It's hard to then try to uh, be self-sacrificial to a spouse when you've spent all day thinking about yourself. It's hard to sacrifice for your children when you've just been trying to gratify your desires in the flesh. It's hard for you to die to self and to pick that person up and give them a ride to the airport when all you've been doing is thinking about yourself. It's hard to sacrifice your time or your money or other resources when it's yours and it needs to satisfy your desire. That everything, every good thing that God has given you is meant for your ends, not for his, not for others. It's very, very difficult for us not to feel corrupted. Do not sow seeds of your time or your focus or your hope or your expectations on the soil of your flesh. But, do you see that word there? But, so do the Spirit. But the one, this is where we get into the reaping of the reward. It's not just a great deception. It's not just a selfish sowing. It's a reward reaping that we want to understand. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, that's a pretty good deal. That is a much better deal than the whole flesh sowing thing, right? So here's what we want to do. We want to look at this and understand how do we sow to the Spirit, How do we become spiritual sowers, as it were? Well, we've we've spent the last two weeks talking about this. From the time that we picked up with the fruit of the Spirit, we were learning that there are actually not just fruit, but actually seeds in that fruit that we get to go about sowing. Last week, we talked about one anothering. And here, what I think that Paul's trying to do is give us a cautionary tale immediately about what it is to not sow to the Spirit 
But he's going to then begin talking about what we might reap if we are sowing seeds of the fruit of the Spirit and we are serving others instead of ourselves, just like our Savior did. He's going to tell us about how that happens. Spiritual sowers take the fruit of the Spirit, we extract the seeds, and we sow good works for the sake of others and for the glory of God. And this fits. This fits with the greatest commandment. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love others as self. This fits with all of the rest of Scripture. Sowing to the Spirit is others interested. Sowing to the flesh is self-interested. And I wonder how it is that you struggle with that. How is it that you are going about sowing seeds of the Spirit in your life? If you just had to, if I gave you the next five minutes, we're not going to, but I think it could be a really good exercise. If you were to sit down for five minutes and just write down, what are the ways that I am sowing seeds to the Spirit, to the Spirit? Now, there are actually a lot of really good things that are happening in this room, represented by not just the lives, but the souls of the people that are here in this congregation. There are some of us that are uh, laying down self, and we've chosen to sow seeds in the Spirit through adoption and foster care. Man, what an amazing testimony to the self-sacrifice of Jesus that you might be sowing goodness into the lives of people that could not possibly repay you may not even remember you. What an amazing testimony to sowing in the Spirit. For others of us, we're uh, the one at the office that self-sacrifices all the time. We let other people steal our ideas. We don't stand uh, in the doorway and say, hey, listen, you're treading on me. We're self-sacrificial in some way, shape, or form. For others of us, we're investing time into community projects or into our children or into an institution or a family or a hospital. We're serving in some way that is showing and demonstrating that the fruit of the Spirit is alive and well in us and we're willing and able to sow those back into others for the glory of the Spirit. Man, we could just make so many. I mean, whether you are going onto college campuses and sharing the gospel, whether you are supporting global missionaries in prayer, whatever it is that you're doing, think of it as sowing seeds to the Spirit. I want for us to get that idea to understand that there is not just good that we are doing, but that there is a reaping also. So then, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. What are we to make of that verse? So then, let us do good. Let us do good. I mean, for a lot of us, we maybe stood amidst a Christianity that got very mission-focused over the last few years. Maybe a lot of the churches that we hail from come out of, even this church, talked about activity, 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 do, do, do. And you got into this mentality, well, if I'm not doing those things, I must just not be a spiritual person. And and so what we've done now is we've entered into a realm of like self-loathing because we're just not Christian enough. Because what we did was we associated activity with faith. Or for others of us, we've just never even given it a second thought. We haven't uh, chosen to actually engage in good works because it's hard, because there is sacrifice. So you never even got started on that road. Still others of us, I think maybe more to the point of Galatians, 
do good works to earn favor with God, to receive good things back from God, and we're living in a Christian karma. The perfectionist is doing, doing, doing so that God will give, give, give back to us. I don't want for us, any of us, to be on any, any one of those areas, okay? I don't want for any of us to fall into that. What I want for us to do is to be conformed to the will of God. So when we ask up above, when we talk about uh, how we should think about good works and the ways that God tells us to think about good works, what we need to hear is that sowing to the Spirit is others interested Sowing to the flesh is self-interested, so where are we devoting our time? This says, as you have the opportunity. As you have the opportunity. Where is it that you are finding opportunity? Are you looking for opportunity? Are you squelching opportunity? Are you trying to get rid of opportunity? Are you trying to collect opportunity to sow in the Spirit? Be honest with yourself about that. Examine yourself. How are you using your money? How are you using your affections? How are you using your emotions? How are you using your speech? How are you using your hands? How are you using your mind to sow in the spirit, to make investments? Here's what I want for us to do. I want for us to understand in a very specific way how the gospel intersects with this idea of sowing seeds in the spirit. Okay, and for that, I want us to actually go to John chapter 12, verse 24. You're more than welcome to turn over there with me. John 12, 24. And I'm just going to read this, and I want for us to think about Jesus and the gospel in terms of the seed. It says this, and Jesus answered them. This is the verse right before that. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. We're going to ask a question about that glorification here in just a moment. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is the Son of Man, this is the Son of God speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What sweet words it is that directs us to how this specifically intersects with the gospel. I wonder if you got it here. It says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. How is he to be glorified? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain, a seed of wheat falls into the earth, into the earth and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit what does that sound like to you as we are talking about sowing seeds to the flesh as we talk about sowing seeds to the spirit we must understand that there is one who came before us that was given the opportunity to sow seeds to his own glory or to fall into the earth and die that there might be a great harvest that is reaped his name is jesus what the good news of the gospel is not that you go out and you sow seeds in the spirit and then you receive eternal life based on your own merit. It's that Jesus actually did it for you when you couldn't. And then because of his death, because of going into the tomb, because of dying, he, not you, is reaping a reward in you. You are actually the reward. You Church, beloved, are the reward. Jesus goes and he dies. 
that there might be an immense harvest in the Spirit, and you're part of it. And, and then the better news is, is that He doesn't just leave you after that, He actually gives you the Spirit. And as we've been talking about, He gives you the Spirit that there might be fruit in the Spirit. And that if there is fruit in the Spirit, that you might be motivated to go away from the works of the flesh and be uh, in the sowing of the Spirit, that there might be good works that actually reap a harvest. And what does that harvest say that it is? It says that it's eternal life. And is it about you? It's about Jesus first. It's about others second. But it is also about you. If you sow in the Spirit, Galatians tells you, you will reap eternal life. Listen, we hear those words so often. It is easy to glaze over, to clam up. What Jesus did for you is give you eternal life. For a few years, a few hundred years, a few millennia, eternal. Eternal means forever. It means unending. It means goodness forever and ever. It means that as you stand on the edges of eternity, you look at oceans, vast oceans of time that you will spend forever in the good light of Jesus Christ. You will feel his embrace forever. You will feel his affections forever. The word eternal actually means forever. It's indescribably truthful and beautiful, but it is good. It is good for us to know that there is eternal life for us because of the cost of this dead seed, which is Jesus. But this harvest that he is reaping is immense. Our good work cannot be sown to self. The gospel shows us that self-sacrifice is what we must do if we wish for the fruit of eternal life rather than corruption. What do you want? If I put it to you this morning this way, do you want corruption or do you want eternal life? There's no one here that would say, even the, the, the person that is most atheistic, that mo- most believes that there is not a God would say, given the choice between those two things, I want eternal life. I hope, I hope that I hope that that would be true. Don't you want eternal life? Let Jesus sow the seeds of the Spirit in you for eternal life and salvation. So how can we have this kind of perspective? How can we live the life of a spiritual sower? There are two things that I think are buried in this text that I think we get to discover together. And and here's what I want you to know. I found these two things to be very helpful for me personally. Not just this week, but like over the course of time. And this is where we get back to that thesis of uh, spiritual sowers never give up on goodness. This is where we start talking about that. I want you to look at verse 9. What does it say to us? As we fight against Christian karma, as we fight against weariness, what we are told is that we are not to give up. Do not give up. Don't give up. What, what, is, what are we not giving up on? On goodness, on good works, on the fruit that's coming from that. It says, do not grow weary of doing good. We do not give up. Good for the sake of goodness, good for the glory of God, good for the good of others leads to eternal life and it leads to a reaping of spiritual fruit. 
forever. Now, here's, here's what I know. I know that this verse presupposes that there is a season where you can grow weary of doing good. If Paul is saying, don't grow weary of doing good, what is he also saying? He's saying, hey, it is possible in seasons of your life that you could grow weary of doing good, right? So let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a season where you are growing weary of doing good? The sleepless nights of early uh, child care, the early years of marriage, the torment of disagreement with a great friend? Is there any time in your life where you have just been giving and giving? You've been sowing. You're like, Chris, listen to me. I have been sowing seeds in the spirit. I know it. God is affirming it in me, but I am growing weary. What does Paul have to say to us? Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Here's the truth. It's a weird thing to talk about, but we do work for the good of others. I've seen it in this church. I will tell you personally that I have worked for the good of others in seasons of my life and felt abandoned, felt taken advantage of, felt distrusted, been lied about, been dismissed, been misunderstood. I've, I've worked for the good of marriages that have fallen apart. I've worked for uh, just to help in some way with the spiritual and mental distress of people who have committed suicide. Have you ever given yourself over to someone? Have you ever given yourself over to seeds of the Spirit in good works? only to find that on the other end of it, there is just a wearying effect in your life? Have you ever done that? What the Spirit does in this passage is go, I know. I, I know you have. Don't give up. That's really actually what I think is happening in these verses. We are told by the Spirit, do not grow weary of doing good Good is good, and I'm working through you. Don't give up. Don't give up on goodness. Why, why, why would we not give up on goodness? Here's the final point, and we'll see it right out of the text. Verse 9, it says, because in due season we will reap. Okay, so here's the tricky thing, right? I talked about earlier how a lot of times I'm like giving, I'm trying to do good, but really all I'm doing is like sowing seeds to the flesh. I'm trying to give good so that I'll get good. How do we think about all of this? What I think that God is wanting us to do is not to give up on goodness, is not to grow weary of goodness, is not to self-aggrandize in our goodness, is not to think so much of ourselves, but is to actually think about the eternal reward. In due season, we will reap. What are we reaping? If you look, if you, do, if you do the math here, we will reap eternal life in the Spirit. <clears throat> I'm going to finish on this. There's a proverb that, that maybe you're familiar with, but I want to I take it like a little bit of a different way this morning. The proverb in Proverbs 13 says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. The, the lead team and I, we were sitting right here this week talking about this year to come in our monthly kind of lead team. And this is the verse that I wanted to challenge them with. And the reason why is because I think that there's a lot of times where it's very easy for us to get caught up in the monotony of the everyday or that we'll uh, work in spurts, but it's very short-term oriented. For me, I, I do this all the time where I'll, I'll work a little bit, 
and then I'll, I'll rest. And the reason why I'm resting isn't because I'm out of energy, it's because I'm short-sighted. I wonder for how many of us there is a sense that, man, we're just not working for eternal purposes. This verse, if you were to take it literally in Proverbs 13, I think what it's most directly talking about is that it is actually a good thing for you to work for an inheritance that outlives you, for your children's children. Remember the time at which that would have been written. It wasn't a time where uh, most people were getting to meet their children's children's children. They, they would have been planting olive groves to never sit under the shade of the leaves, to never reap or uh, get anything from its produce. You would have had old men that were planting new trees for generations to come, but they got it. They knew that they couldn't just be working for themselves. I wonder if we turn that upside down and instead of talking about a physical, financial inheritance, if we talked about a spiritual inheritance, how you could think about the way that your life is coordinated, the things that you're going after, the things that you're exploring, the things that excite you. And when we hear it in spiritual terms, and we hear a good man, a good woman, leaves an inheritance for their children's children, whether or not there might be room in these set of verses to challenge you towards good works, sowing seeds of the Spirit, not for you to reap a reward immediately, but for you to reap a reward eternally, but not just for you to reap a reward eternally, but for others to reap that reward eternally, for you to be kingdom-oriented, for you to be sowing seeds to build trees in the kingdom of Christ that others might sit underneath the shade of, get the fruit from, so I just want to challenge, and then I want to pray for this church, that we might be a people that is after building an inheritance, a spiritual inheritance for our children's children. Can I do that? All right, bow one. God and Father, you tell us here that spiritual sowers, those who sow good works in the Spirit, do not grow weary of goodness. Father, we see you in the midst of goodness. There's no good on this earth that doesn't speak to your goodness. So we just want to be involved in it. We want, we want to be written into the story. We want to be uh, playing. We want to be marching. We want to be planting these seeds. We want to be sowing them to the glory of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray that you would make us mindful. Lord, how can we be building an inheritance that outlasts us, that has an eternal effect? Lord, I pray your special blessing on this congregation that we wouldn't just be oriented towards today and what we could be getting out of life today, a fleshly orientation towards self-gratification today. But Lord, that you might let us lift our eyes towards heaven and be sowing into an inheritance that is everlasting. God and Father, would you give us that heart would you give us those desires? Lord, help us to be spiritual sowers that do not grow weary of goodness. Lord, I pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.